Welcome to the America's Workforce Radio Podcast, the flagship production of the American Workers Radio and Podcast Network, where organized labor and its never-ending fight to protect the rights of the American worker come first. Now, presented by LIUNA, Laborers International Union of North America, here's your host, Ed Flash Ferens. Here we go again. A Southern governor urging auto workers not to unionize. The House votes to repeal the NLRB's joint employer rule. And today on the show, the American Federation of Government Employees and the Cleveland Building and Construction Trades Council. Welcome to the Wednesday, January 17th edition of America's Workforce, where we are available on at least five platforms. That includes Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and Pandora. Jackie Simon will be our first guest on the show today. She is the policy director for one of our national sponsors, and that would be the American Federation of Government Employees, which is affiliated with the AFL-CIO. Jackie is a 35-year member of AFGE, which, by the way, is the largest federal employee union representing over 700,000 federal and district of Columbia employees. She represents them on all policy matters affecting the union's members. And that includes civil service protections, collective bargaining, privatization, pay, health insurance, retirement, and budget. She's got a lot on her plate. No doubt about that. Jackie also serves AFGE as a member of the federal salary council. Federal Prevailing Rate Advisory Committee, the Employee Thrift Advisory Committee, and the Federal Employees Health Benefits Employees Advisory Committee. So she's got a a lot on her plate. And the first thing we're going to talk about is the looming shutdown. Now, when Congress left last year, they had two dates in mind. And it was a shutdown part one, shutdown part two. Now, the first one is supposed to be this Friday. January 19th, and then on February 2nd, uh, last night, the Senate voted 68 to 13 to advance what they call a continuing resolution, which more or less kicks the can down the road. They would move the uh, Friday shutdown to March 1st and the second one to March 8th. So we'll see what's going to happen here. And these shutdowns, we've talked about this many, many times on the show. They don't save money. They cost taxpayers money. In the meantime, AFGE is echoing calls from nearly 120 lawmakers to reject a proposed fiscal commission that would bypass elected leadership and make recommendations to slash vital federal programs and government services like Social Security. Everett Kelly, who's the national president, of AFGE is quoted as saying a fiscal commission would give a small group of lawmakers and non-elected individuals enormous power to recommend cuts to social security and other popular programs without any ability for the public to weigh in. This is a hot, hot topic here. We're going to talk more about it uh, this Friday with the Alliance for retired Americans. So we'll also talk about uh, veterans affairs, um, pay raises for federal workers and worker safety with uh, Jackie Simon as our first guest. Dave Wondolowski will be joining us later in the show. Dave serves as executive secretary 
of the Cleveland Building and Construction Trades Council, which is an umbrella organization of more than 29 member unions working in the construction industry in the greater Cleveland area. Right now, they represent about 10,000 skilled and highly trained craft workers. And there's, there's a lot going on in Northeastern Ohio. We'll touch on that, but more importantly, we're going to talk about something that happened late last year that's not good. Not good. In November, the Cleveland Cuyahoga County Port Authority decided to uh, eliminate, repeal, its prevailing wage protections for construction projects that it finances. This was a surprise to many, and it reverses five years, five years of progress that the Port Authority made toward ensuring developers pay family-sustaining wages with benefits for the workers. Makes all the sense in the world. Dave uh, authored an op-ed in the uh, PlainDealerCleveland.com recently, and boy, he he really took the uh, Port Authority to task on this, and he writes, the public reason the Port has offered for repealing wage protections is that developers told staff that they couldn't make projects work with prevailing wage. He writes, the idea that construction projects can happen only when workers are exploited with low wages is an insult to the community. The fact is, there's no direct evidence that the Port of Cleveland was losing millions in fees because of prevailing wage. In the meantime, the Port's own data shows that its developer fees have increased over the past 18 months. In the meantime, it's my understanding, too, that the members of the board, after they repealed prevailing wage, gave themselves a pay raise. How about that? Now, there's some good news. And uh, last month, Julie Sue, the acting labor secretary, came to Cleveland to uh, announce the final rule to implement President Biden's executive order requiring project labor agreements for most large-scale federal construction projects. We're talking projects 35 million or billion. I'll find out a little bit later in the show. I think it's $35 million. So uh, this is definitely a step in the right direction. But uh, the prevailing wage issue at the port, that was a bad move. That was a bad move. And Dave's going to talk about that and more as our second guest on the show. Now, a brief look into the world of labor. This segment brought to you by Boyd Watterson Asset Management. You can find more at Boyd Watterson. How about this? Alabama's governor, Kay Ivey, is urging the state's auto workers not to join a union. (laughs) Can you believe this? Well, there's good reason she's saying this because the UAW is targeting non-union automakers concentrated in the South in the wake of their huge contract victory at Detroit's Big Three. The UAW campaign at a Mercedes-Benz plant near Tuscaloosa went public last week after about 30% of the workers signed union cards. By the way, mind you, UAW reports Mercedes, they made $156 billion in total profits over the last decade. In the last three years, 
their profits grew 200% over the previous three years. The union has adopted what they call a 30-50-70 strategy for their new organizing drives. A campaign will go public after reaching 30% support in a plant. At 50%, UAW President Sean Fain will then lead a community rally. And then at 70%, the union will demand recognition or file for an NLRB election. Non-union automakers, most recently Tesla, have been boosting wages in hope of staving off unionization. Getting back to uh, the governor, though, this is so similar to what happened in the state of Tennessee almost 10 years ago when Volkswagen wanted to locate in Chattanooga and they wanted to form what they called a workers' council. I've talked about this on the show so many times. They have great success with a workers' council in Germany. Well, Germany is more union-friendly, especially than states like Tennessee, where right-to-work is enshrined in their constitution. And every lawmaker, keep in mind, Tennessee is far to the right, including the governor, all said, no, you, you can't, you cannot do, you cannot go union in the state of Tennessee. And they even told the workers at the plant that, uh, that the VW will just move out if they go union, which is a complete lie, but that didn't matter. And they succeeded in that. They've tried several times since then, and the same kind of rhetoric came through, and uh, the unions have been very, very difficult to move forward in the state of Tennessee. But we got a new leader in the UAW by the name of Sean Fain, and uh, he's not taking that anymore. So we'll see what happens in the state of Alabama. A federal district court in California has dismissed Trader Joe's trademark lawsuit against Trader Joe's United. That's the union representing some of its workers. The grocer argued that the union's logo featured on merchandise sold online was too similar to the store's own logo. And uh, customers might confuse the two. Well, the judge not only rejected these claims, but warned that the lawsuit came dangerously close to warranting sanctions, which may be imposed for a frivolous lawsuit. Eyes will now turn to a similar lawsuit that Starbucks launched against Starbucks Workers United in October as part of the company's many-front legal battle against the union. And one more story, this one out of San Francisco, where a group of renters are staging a rent strike, and this is aided by a local law that creates legal protections for tenant unions. The strikers are demanding that their corporate landlord address harmful living conditions like mold. They're depositing their rent into a trust. In the meantime, in San Francisco's union at home law, protects efforts to organize tenant unions and requires landlords to meet and confer with the unions in good faith. Labor law scholars have encouraged lawmakers to use labor unions as a model for constructing countervailing power for other groups like debtors and welfare recipients. And this rent strike shows the promise of this approach. That's interesting. So they're following the lead of what unions do to try to help the renters 
who have some pretty horrendous conditions there. I mean, mold? No. You can't you can't live in a place with mold around it. That's very, very dangerous and fatal at some times. All right, we have to take a quick break. Jackie Simon, Policy Director for the American Federation of Government Employees, coming up next. You're listening to America's Workforce with Ed Flash Ferens. It takes Lyuna to build North America's infrastructure. From roads and bridges to schools and skyscrapers, the men and women of Lyuna, the Laborers International Union of North America, build the projects we depend on. From constructing the Freedom Tower on the site of the former World Trade Center to untangling Washington, D.C.'s congested interstate, Lyuna members do the work that matters. Find out what it takes to be built by Lyuna at lyuna.org. That's L-I-U-N-A dot org. We're the nurses, firefighters, and claims representatives that help keep our government services running. We respond to natural disasters. We care for our nation's veterans. And we investigate discrimination in the workplace. We are federal and D.C. government workers. And we are proud to serve the American people. Working in more than 70 agencies across the government, we know we can fulfill our mission because our union has our back. Learn more at AFGE.org. Paid for by the American Federation of Government Employees, AFL-CIO. This portion of the show brought to you by the International Union of Bricklayers and Allied Craft Workers. For more information, please visit BACWeb.org. There is unity and strength for workers. We are the USW. We are the USW. The the United United Steelworkers. The largest industrial union in North America. We represent 850,000 members in In the the US, US, Canada, Canada, and and the the Caribbean. Caribbean. We work in metals, rubber, chemicals, paper, oil refining, atomic energy, and the service sector. We are steelworkers, standing strong and fighting for what's right. The Heat and Frost Insulators and Allied Workers are proud to be a title sponsor for America's Workforce Radio. The Insulators Union is leading the way in the mechanical insulation industry, fire stopping, and infectious disease control. Regarded as North America's energy conservation specialist, these professionals are known for their professional work and dedication. You can learn more about the Insulators Union at insulators.org. America's Workforce is presented by the Labor's International Union of North America. Feel the power right now at liuna.org. Now, back to America's Workforce. Here's Ed Flash Ferens. And remember, you can check us out on Facebook or follow us on X, formerly known as Twitter. That would be AWF Union Podcast. Let's go to Washington, D.C. right now and join Jackie Simon. Jackie is the policy director for the American Federation of Government Employees, affiliated, of course, with the AFL-CIO, AFGE.org, one of our longtime sponsors. In fact, uh, last week, it was a week ago today, we had David Can on the show. David is the organizing director. He was talking about the great organizing wins for last year. Today, we're going to talk about policy with uh, Jackie Simon, who's been with the union Jackie, I was, uh, you, you told me off the air here, you started in uh, 1989, and that's when Ronald Reagan was leaving the White House, and then there was Bush 1, Clinton, Bush 2, Obama, Trump, and now Biden. Altogether, that's seven presidents. 
it's amazing that you have any sanity left with all the zigging and zagging going on <laughs> with all the different policies out of Washington. But uh, thank you for joining us today. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. So let's let's just start talking about this possible shutdown here, which uh, I guess part one would be this Friday. And I know you're in the thick of things over there in Washington. What are you hearing right now, Jackie? What's uh, what's what's your gut telling you? Well, um, I hate, I don't want to jinx anything by being saying something optimistic, but uh, I think the members of the House uh, recognized that they'd made such fools of themselves earlier this year with their uh, fights over the Speaker uh, that uh, you know they really really don't want to cause even more chaos. I wouldn't say that's true for all of them, but um, maybe a majority are uh, are done with uh, humiliating themselves to the degree that they've they caused the government to shut down. Um, of course, there's there's a faction in the House that wants a government shutdown, and they think they can extract uh, certain policies um, from the Senate and from the administration that they wouldn't otherwise be able to get. Uh, I don't think that's going to happen. It happened with Obama, but I don't think that's going to happen with President Biden. Jackie, from what I've been reading, uh, Mike Johnson, the Speaker of the House, put together a deal that's very, very similar to Kevin McCarthy, what he put together uh, last year, which resulted in his ouster. I mean, what's different this time? I guess are some more Democrats supporting supporting Johnson on this one so that there is not a government shutdown? What's your take on this? Yeah, my take really, I mean, I, it's not worth any more than anybody else's take, but um, it, there seems to be a sense, even among a, a substantial number of House Republicans, that they embarrass themselves so completely uh, during the whole uh, McCarthy drama that um, they don't want to just be known for chaos and immaturity. And so they're basically willing, at least some of them, to abide by the deal that was struck last May on um, on the budget for this year. So uh, the, the, the deal that um, Johnson has agreed to was very similar, as you said, to uh, what, what McCarthy had previously agreed to. Right now, the shutdown, there's two parts. It would be this Friday and then on February 2nd, and the continuing res- resolution would take it, what is it, to March 1st and then March 8th? Is that the latest yeah. on this? Yes. And, you know, this whole kicking the can down the road, one CR after another, um, that in itself has negative budget consequences. You know, if, if this keeps going on, which it certainly might, uh, once the the remainder of these, the remainder of the year is funded by full year appropriations. Um, everything will be very skewed because it'll only be a matter of months that the that the agencies will have to spend the money that they get through the uh, you know, full year appropriation. It's it's already chaos to some degree. Um, you know the the. <clears throat> budget deal that that uh, was struck last May has spending consequences um, a few months from now if they are not uh, overridden and that could cause furloughs for federal employees um, you know cancellation of contracts with contractors you know who knows there there will definitely be negative consequences if they don't get to work and get these full year appropriations passed 
you kind of answered my next question here. I was, I was, I'm, I'm wondering here what would be the ramifications here because I, everybody, everybody on the Republican side, they're saying, oh, the deficit is out of control. We got to chop, chop, chop. I'm hearing cuts to Social Security. I'm sure you're getting an earful over there in Washington. Do you have any assessment on what they're talking about? You mentioned furloughs. Do we have a number on that at this stage? No, we don't have numbers on that. I mean, there's. There's certainly a lot of choices the agencies can make if they don't have enough money to operate um, status quo. And, you know, the easy one, of course, is to furlough the federal employees. Uh, What they haven't done, certainly during the shutdowns under President Obama, uh, they did not exercise their rights under their contracts with their uh, service contractors uh, to uh, to cut back on those services. And so, of course, you know, when there's not enough, um, the various parties are going to uh, be at each other's throats saying, no, you, you take the hit, no, you take the hit, no, you take the hit. Uh, we'll be doing everything we can to make sure federal employees don't take the hit again because we have, God knows, done more than our share, more than any other group of Americans, furloughs, uh, uh, sequestration, uh, pay, pay freezes, retirement benefit cuts. Uh, federal employees have really taken it on the chin for the last couple decades. And so far, President Biden has been very, very supportive of the federal workforce. And we hope and expect that to continue. Here's uh, what I don't understand. The last shutdown, which was during the Trump administration, lasted 35 days. And uh, finally, that came to an end. And there were many saying, well, when you shut down the government, you're saving money. Far cry from the truth uh, on that. I, I, I saw some numbers, maybe three or four billion dollars to taxpayers. Why isn't that part of the equation? I mean, there's a lot of people still of the opinion that if you shut down the government, you're going to save money. But um, but that's not the case. No, but again, these are the same characters who refuse to acknowledge that uh, cutting uh, uh, resources for the uh, Internal Revenue Service uh, saves money rather than costs money. Uh, when you have fewer people working at IRS to, to uh, enforce our tax laws and make sure that uh, cheaters don't get away with uh, not paying their fair share of taxes, uh, tax revenue goes up. Uh, but these same people want to cut cut IRS. But, uh, so, you know, I think that uh, the kind of people who make those arguments uh, are, I, I'll just use the word liars, duplicitous on all things, and that includes uh, budget questions like the ones we're discussing. We're speaking with Jackie Simon. Jackie is the policy director for the American Federation of Government Employees. She's been with the union for 35 years. Jackie, I was reading a story at the top of the show, and this came from your president, your national president, Everett Kelly, and he was talking about the calls from nearly 120 lawmakers to reject a proposed fiscal commission that would bypass elected leadership and make recommendations to slash vital federal programs and government services. Uh, Sounds pretty scary to me. And Mr. Kelly is very concerned about cuts to Social Security, which will affect millions, millions of retired Americans here. Uh, How serious is this right now, in your opinion? Oh, my God. It's very serious. 
and AFGE was behind uh, getting those signatures on that letter. Uh, the, the fiscal commission is a terrible idea, and uh, we're working very hard to make sure it doesn't happen. Um, everybody probably remembers the Simpson-Bowles commission, and it's going to be the same, uh, the same story again. Uh, they, they basically take new revenues off the table and uh, achieve their, their deficit reduction solely from spending cuts. And one of their favorite targets is Social Security. Uh, last time, and probably again this time, the idea would be to raise the retirement uh, eligibility age for Social Security, uh, reduce COLAs by, uh, by using uh, a formula for calculating the COLA um, that, that is, does not reflect the goods and services that uh, seniors actually purchase. Um, it's they would change, we expect, they would change Medicare eligibility. Um, but they also, the last time uh, when Simpson Bowles, even though Simpson Bowles' whole package was rejected, their proposals for federal employees were adopted. And that's when we got our big cuts to retirement benefits and pay freezes and, um, you know, furloughs and sequestration. We can't let this happen again. These, uh, this commission idea is a bunch of unelected uh, so-called experts that never have to face the voters, and it's just such a dereliction of duty on the part of Congress. They just outsource completely their constitutional responsibilities on, on budget and tax policy, and it's just a terrible, terrible thing. We're working very hard to make sure it doesn't happen. Those of you listening right now, go to the national website, afge.org, and you can read more about what uh, Jackie and I are talking about. Real scary stuff, real scary stuff. Jackie Simon joining us on our live line today. She is the policy director for the American Federation of Government Employees. Again, afge.org. More to come from her later in the show. Dave Wondolowski will be joining us. He is the executive secretary for the Cleveland Building and Construction Trades Council, talking about repealing prevailing wage for the port authority in cleveland ohio back in a few minutes this is america's workforce more shows available at awfradio.com it takes lyuna to power north america with affordable energy the men and women of Lyuna, the Laborers International Union of North America, have the skills needed to build and maintain oil, natural gas, nuclear, solar, and wind projects that are shaping America's energy future. From new energy tech to retrofitted facilities, Lyuna members do it all. Find out what it takes to be powered by Lyuna at Lyuna.org. That's L-I-U-N-A. Attention members of the Heat and Frost Insulators Union who are interested in traveling. Central Ohio has more construction projects on the books than anywhere in the U.S. Mega projects, large and medium-sized jobs are creating more work than our local 50 brothers and sisters can handle. Projects like Intel, the Honda LG battery plant, and multiple data centers for Facebook, Google, and Amazon offer union wages, overtime, exciting incentives. Local 50 is seeking union travelers to meet the needs of its signatory contractors who can put you to work immediately. If you're a member in good standing and interested in the work opportunities in Central Ohio, visit insulators50.com forward slash AWF travel 
for more information. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the United Steelworkers. You can find more at usw.org. A great union requires a reliable election system. Survey and Ballot Systems is a trusted election partner with more than 30 years of expertise in managing union elections. By partnering with SBS, your union can ensure it gets an auditable process and a high level of customer service. SBS is here to help you conduct your union vote securely, transparently, and with trust building always in mind. Visit SurveyAndBalladSystems.com to learn more. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the Heat and Frost Insulators Labor Management Cooperative Trust. Find out more at insulators.org forward slash LMCT. America's Workforce Radio is sponsored in part by the International Union of Painters and Allied Trades, District Council 6, representing painters, glazers, drywall finishers, and sign and display industry workers. They remind you that belonging to a union is your right as an American. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the Iron Workers. You can find more at ironworkers.org. Now, back to Ed Flash Ferrance with America's Workforce. And remember, you can check us out on at least five platforms. That includes Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and Pandora. And when you get an opportunity, here's what you do. Just sign up and receive our shows on a regular basis and give us a rating. We always appreciate those five-star ratings, so please keep them coming. By the way, this next segment brought to you in part by the Ohio Federation of Teachers, oh.aft.org is their website. If you missed our segment with Melissa Cropper, president of the Ohio Federation of Teachers, you can check that out at awfpodcast.com. Right now, let's go back to the Washington, D.C. area, and joining us is Jacqueline Simon, who is the policy director for the American Federation of Government Employees, the largest federal employee union representing well over 700,000 federal and District of Columbia employees and many at our VA hospitals. And that's what I want to talk about. Privatization of veteran health care. I know there's been a number of people, probably the same people that want to dismantle Social Security and cut benefits that are kind of digging into our Veterans Administration here. Jackie, you're in the middle of it all. Where do we stand on this issue? We're standing at a very precarious moment for the VA. Uh, One of the issues that we're really trying to focus on uh, in order to preserve the VA so that it can continue to exist is uh, the access standards for private care. The the so-called crisis at the Phoenix VA that led to this, that opened the door, I should say, to mass privatization of VA healthcare um, really was a manufactured crisis. But um, in its wake, we have a genuine crisis. At this point, one third of total of VA veterans healthcare is already provided uh, by private sector for-profit providers. And unless we put a stop to it, it's just going to continue to cannibalize the budget of VA and and leave the the veteran system, the in-house veteran system, with too few uh, too few resources to operate uh, and provide the kind of comprehensive uh, integrated care that veterans have have always been able to have at VA facilities. So I didn't realize one third is already privatized. Has that been kind of a slow grind? They're like chipping away a little bit here, a little bit there. Is that is that what's been going on? 
Well, yeah, I'm not sure it's uh, been all that slow, but yes, basically what happened has been uh, under Trump, where it was nobody made any secret of the desire to completely uh, destroy the VA system and privatize the whole thing, um, including shutting down clinics and hospitals. Uh, They basically instituted these very, very lax and vague and unenforceable access standards. Um, And they were based on uh, how long it took you to drive to a VA facility uh, and, you know, how long it took you to get an appointment. And it, it basically just gave a blank check to the private, uh, to the private sector providers. And that's something that needs to be fixed. Um, you know, you think about uh, private health insurance, um, and not that the VA is insurance per se, but just for a moment, think about private insurance. If you have a PPO or an HMO, in order to go outside your network, they have very stringent um, uh, requirements. That, that's how they maintain the integrity of their network, of their system. You can't just go outside just because you want to, just because mm-hmm. you, know, you say that it takes you too long to drive to that office. That's not one of the criteria that any HMO or PPO really uses for permission to go outside the network. But uh, for the veterans system, it's, it's pretty open. All you have to do is say you want to for the most part and say it takes too long to drive. Um, so we need to get a handle on that. We also uh, need to make sure that the quality standards and <clears throat> And, you know, uh, timeliness standards are applied equally to in-house and, and the private sector. And we need to also make sure that the hospitals maintain uh, emergency departments, surgery departments, ICUs. If, if any of these shut down, the rest of them have to shut down. Uh, mm-hmm. You can't have a hospital that does surgery without an ICU department. You can't have a hospital that with an emergency department that doesn't have surgery and doesn't have ICU. And the, the idea that was behind this air commission that we fortunately killed uh, was to basically create these franchises inside a hospital. Um, you know, we, we, we likened it to the, you know, various brands' um, uh, cosmetics uh, uh, counters inside a department store. So one private equity firm would own the um, would run the emergency department. Another private equity would run the prosthetics. Another private equity would run run the uh, surgery department. I mean, it's just oh. ridiculous. Oh, no. And that's that's what they have in mind. Uh, you know, chopping out all the profitable departments within a hospital, and uh, and pretty much starving the VA. Wow, I didn't realize it was that bad. Yeah, when you say private equity, man, my my eyes perk up because private equity companies, firms, whatever you want to call them, they've they've hollowed out America. They really have, really have. They've destroyed so many good businesses, and and a lot of mom and pop areas in uh, that that were very profitable over the years. You know, the other issue I want to talk to you about, and uh, I'll try to be as brief as possible, is the people that work in the VA hospitals. And I saw this story. This was posted last fall about uh, a VA medical center in West Palm Beach, Florida, where nurses are leaving in droves. Why? Because they're not making enough money. 
and, and they could go down the street and make uh, thirty to forty thousand dollars more in another uh, in another facility. So obviously, the pay for people in the VA hospitals is needs to be improved. Is where are we with that? And, and I know that they need more employees. I know the work as far as uh, the last number I saw was like fifty thousand short of where they should be right now. Is this issue being addressed in Congress with all the shenanigans going on? Well, yes and no. Um, There's a separate pay system for medical professionals in the VA, and it gives a tremendous amount of uh, discretion to a medical center director. And I'm extremely familiar with the West Palm Beach story. So nurses and, and, and many other medical professionals uh, at the West Palm Beach VA, uh, as you said, make up to you know, thirty dollars and $40,000 less than uh, people with the exact same job in Orlando and Miami. Um, they're all part of the same regional, uh, what's called a vision for VA, but they're not, they're not the same medical center. And the idea behind giving... Uh, medical center directors, uh, the so-called flexibility to provide market pay in their market was that they would exercise that authority in order to bring the pay up to market levels. But guess what? Big surprise. They exercised that authority by denying raises or making them very, very small. And, uh, you know, the result, of course, is, as you said, tremendous turnover. You know, people leave. They're very, very committed to the mission of the VA. Most, uh, a third of the employees in the Veterans Administration are veterans themselves. Uh, they want to work for the VA, but if inadequate pay and uh, increasingly uh, expensive benefits uh, are what's, you know, what, what they have obligations to their families. And so, yes, there is turnover. Yes, people are leaving. And sometimes for VA hospitals not very far away uh, that pay higher. And, uh, you know, this inconsistency and this discretion, um, it sounds good on paper, but um, too, many, too much of the time uh, it ends up uh, with, with pay that's very, very far below market. That facility, by the way, we should do a shout-out here for Local 507. They represent uh, 3,000 bargaining unit employees at the West Palm Beach VA Hospital, five clinics and a cemetery in that area as well. And you think of the senior population in Florida. Uh, that There's a lot of veterans that are being served there, and it's sad that so many people are actually leaving because of the low pay. Hopefully... Hopefully that'll turn around, but uh, boy, there's, you got a lot on your plate, Jackie, (laughs) 35 years, policy director at the American Federation of Government Employees. I tell you, thank you so much for joining us on the show today. Let's do this again. I know this is going to be a politically charged year. There's going to be a lot of zigging and zagging. We got this government shutdown. So you hang in there and uh, please stay in touch with us. Okay. Okay. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. You got it. Jackie Simon, Policy Director of the American Federation of Government Employees. We're going to take a quick break. Dave Wondolowski on behalf of the Cleveland Building Trades coming up next. This is America's Workforce. It takes Lyuna to keep America running. Over 70,000 public employees are part of Lyuna, the Laborers International Union of North America. 
delivering critical services such as health care and emergency response, as well as maintaining roads and sanitation systems. Even the National Postal Mail Handlers Union, representing over 47,000 U.S. postal workers, is affiliated with LIUNA. Find out what it takes for LIUNA to keep America running at LIUNA.org. That's L-I-U-N-A dot org. The Ironworkers Great Lakes District Council, consisting of eight ironworker local unions in West Virginia, Pennsylvania, Ohio, and Michigan. We build the skylights and bridges along the Great Lakes. With more work than ever before, the Great Lakes District Council is actively searching out the next great ironworker. Whether it's building the next Intel plant or constructing a bridge to safely connect our great cities along the lake. So join the Ironworkers Great Lakes District Council today. Find out how and learn more about the council by visiting IWDistrictCouncil.com. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the International Federation of Professional and Technical Engineers. You can find more at IFPTE.org. This segment of America's Workforce is brought to you by Survey and Ballot Systems. SBS has been providing unions with secure and flexible election options for over 30 years. Visit surveyandballotsystems.com to learn more. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the Communication Workers of America. You can find more at cwa-union.org. There is unity and strength for workers. We are the USW. We are the USW. The United, United Steelworkers. Steel the largest industrial union in North America. We represent 850,000 members in, in the, the US, US, Canada, and, and the, the Caribbean. Caribbean. We work in metals, rubber, chemicals, paper, oil refining, atomic energy, and the service sector. We are steelworkers, standing strong and fighting for what's right. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the International Brotherhood of Teamsters, where you can find more at teamster.org. America's Workforce is sponsored in part by Boyd Watterson Asset Management, LLC. Find out more about our investment solutions tailored to meet the needs of Taft-Hartley funds at boydwatterson.com. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the United Auto Workers. Find more at uaw.org. Now, back to America's Workforce. Here's Ed Flash Ferens. And remember, you can check us out on Facebook or follow us on X, formerly known as Twitter. That would be AWF Union Podcast. By the way, this next segment brought to you in part by the North Coast Labor Federation. And before we get to Dave Wondolowski, I just want to mention that the U.S. House of Representatives have voted to repeal the NLRB's joint employer rule. Now, the resolution was passed pursuant to the Congressional Review Act, which allows Congress to repeal agency rules through legislation. So the proposal is now headed to the Senate, where Democrats hold a one-seat majority. Now, although West Virginia Senator Joe Manchin has said he opposes the rule, President Biden said he will veto the resolution if it passes both houses. Now, The joint employer rule expands the definition of control and would force many large companies to bargain with contract and franchise workers unions. The board issued its final rule in October of last year, and the rule is set to go in effect uh, next month, February 26, 2024. So we'll keep you posted on that. Let's go to our live line. And join Dave Wondolowski, Executive Secretary of the Cleveland Building and Construction Trades Council. We're talking a 29-member 
29 members, 10,000 highly skilled, highly trained craft workers working with developers, building owners, contractors, individuals who rely on a productive and professional workforce. Well, apparently the uh, Cleveland Cuyahoga County Port Authority didn't get that message because uh, late last year they decided to repeal prevailing wage for construction projects that it finances. Dave, what's going on here? And uh, thanks for uh, joining us here on America's Workforce. I I read your piece on cleveland.com last week. I'm going to let you just pick it up from there. Go ahead, brother. Yeah, good afternoon, Flash. Yeah, very disappointing. You know, after 2011, um, or I should say in 2011, under Governor Kasich, the legislature... um, made some changes to the state's prevailing wage laws, and one of them was to exempt port authorities. So they exempted port authorities. However, they didn't prohibit them from enacting a prevailing wage uh, mandate for their financing of projects. And I want to be clear, this is for their financing. It's not, you know, projects done at the port authority will still be required to pay prevailing wage. However, most of the work, you know, the the the, the the good stuff that comes out of the Port Authority are the finance projects. And we're talking about hundreds of millions of dollars every year in construction work. And uh, in 2018, we put together a three-pronged approach to make sure that there was equity in these uh, in the jobs that we're, we were creating. We wanted to make sure that, you know, um, there was uh, – we had a little bit of a mandate for diverse – contracting and employing on these projects. Also wanted to make sure that anybody doing business with the port paid a minimum of $15 an hour for a minimum wage. And and we wanted to reinstate that prevailing wage uh, mandate. And so that, that was passed in one resolution. Well, from that time, from 2018 through the, the, the current day, our revenues have have risen at the port, uh, not decreased, contrary to what uh, Will Friedman uh, stated publicly in that meeting, and in numerous meetings, in fact. And, however, because of a couple of developers that obviously have talked to him privately, uh, he said that, um, you know, we're going to lose deals uh, if we don't get rid of the prevailing wage. We've already lost deals. He threw a $6 million number out that we could have had in, in fees uh, that was clearly fabricated. And, um, you know, it's very disappointing. And I'm not done with this. We're going to continue to fight at Port Authority. Uh, we were able, able to block his bonus. You know, he, he, uh, he earns $355,000 a year. I'm not uh, saying that Will Friedman does a bad job, but, but he's out of touch with uh, – working-class people in Cleveland, Ohio, and um, we're going to not let him forget about that. So, 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 Dave, stop right there. So, so they repealed prevailing wage, and he got, he got himself a bonus? Is that right? No, we blocked the bonus, but he asked for the bonus the meeting after he blocked the prevailing or, or stopped the prevailing wage. So, you know, it's really it's, – it's just kind of laughable and sad at the same time. So, you know, again – you know, part of the part of the issue flash here in Northeast Ohio is we have all these boards and commissions that you know we have appointments to, and what you're seeing more and more, what you saw at Metro, what what you're seeing in other places is we've got board members 
that uh, unfortunately, not all, but uh, many of them are out of touch, and they're just there for the monthly stipend and not really there to apply themselves and make sure that they're doing the public's bidding uh, for them. So, you know, that's some of the case of what we have here at the Port Authority. And, uh, again, myself and Dan O'Malley and others are going to be there to continue to remind people that, uh, you know, we represent the, the, the working people here in Cleveland, Ohio, and Northeast Ohio, and uh, we're going to do our best to do that. All right. You know, you, you pointed out in your piece here in Cleveland.com that this is a direct attack on your ability to bring more minorities into apprenticeship programs. Can you elaborate on that? Because, because this, this is just another example of the race to the bottom when you repeal prevailing wage. Can you expand on that so, for listeners, Dave? Sure. Sure. So, Look, I mean, when you don't have prevailing wage law uh, mandates on these projects that are financed through the Port Authority, developers are free to bring in who they want. So they will, they will, they are currently, and they will continue to bring in low road contractors from out of, outside the the uh, outside of Northeast Ohio and outside the state of Ohio. We have a project right now. I'm not going to name it here, but we have a project right now. We have. We have probably about 45 to 50 um, people that are undocumented, uh, undocumented workers making very low salaries uh, on this project, and we are uh, we're tracking that currently. And we could talk about that, you know, on a later date. But you know, these are the kind of things that happen. So when you don't have prevailing wage, you assure two things: you assure that women and minorities make less money on these mm-hmm. projects because they're not required to pay to pay the same thing as everybody else makes. Number two, you are you ensure that out-of-state, low-road contractors are welcome into Cleveland to get as much work as they can and take our jobs from us. So that's what's yeah. insured by that, that repeal. And this is so sad because nationally, and Dave, you know this, there's a push to get more women and minorities involved in the trades. Why? Because this is the pathway to the middle class. This is what you want. And this goes completely against that, completely against that. So sad. So um, let's, uh, well, hopefully, hopefully we can turn this around. And, you know, you got our full support here on America's Workforce. But let's switch gears here. I see that the acting labor secretary, Julie Sue, was in Cleveland last month. And this is certainly good news. In fact, it's uh, front page news in the Labor Citizen, which is also produced by BMA Media, producers of America's Workforce, and it's the final project labor agreement rule. Can you uh, can you give us some details? What an exciting day for you and the trades. Talk to me about it. It is. So they came to Cleveland because we have an acting project labor agreement at the Celebrates Federal Building on a large, very large interior remodel there, probably around $40 million. So uh, they, they came, they chose Cleveland to come to come here and to announce the new rule and what the rule says is that any any federal projects over 35 million dollars will uh, be required to have a project labor agreement in place so that is great news um, you know 35 million dollars is pretty easy to reach nowadays on, on uh, federal projects uh, many of many federal projects are in the hundreds of millions of dollars so that will mean many, many PLAs throughout this country because of the administration's push to support working people. And so th- this is really a big, big day for, it was a big day for Cleveland. It's a, it's a great time to be in 
trade unions. And uh, I'll tell you, Flash, we are stirring down the barrel of about $12 billion in work here in Cleveland. And that's not all of it. That's a handful of projects that I could, I could name. But, I mean, that's the kind of work and volume of work that we have here, and some of that is federal work. So we're excited about that, and um, we're going to be looking forward to working with owners and partner contractors to uh, develop these agreements and make sure that our workers are protected. That's what we want. That's what project labor agreements are all about. You know, you're, you're talking about this work and, and we're hearing a whole lot of work. I mean, in all parts of Ohio, I know central Ohio is on fire with the, with the Intel project and uh, there's Amazon and Google and all that kind of stuff. And, and, and eventually, I mean, it is spreading. It's really good news. Now, now that being said, we need people in the trades. Uh, how are we faring right now in Northeastern Ohio and attracting especially young people in the trades, because there's, there's work for years to come. Well, what's, what's the story there, Dave? You're, you're right. There is work for years to come. And, and unfortunately, I, I wish I had better news. I mean, it, it's still an ongoing battle to uh, convince young people uh, and people that are either unemployed or underemployed uh, that there are good-paying jobs here in the building trades. And our doors are open to everybody. If you want to commit yourself to you know, being on time in the morning, learning, applying yourself, uh, most of our apprenticeships now are starting at, at close to 20 or over $20 an hour. Some are starting at over $25 an hour. Um, those, are, those are good jobs, and, and, and they all come with great benefits, pension, health care, and, and uh, so forth. So, you know, again, I wish I had better news, but we are going to continue to keep chopping the wood and keep um, yelling from the highest rooftop that, you know, we've got great opportunities here, and, and now's the time to come get it because you'll have worked for decades, decades here in the building trades. Is it pretty much across the board, all trades pretty much, carpenters, electricians, yes. bricklayers? Yes, all trades. Okay. All right. We'll leave it on that note. CBCTC.org is the website. You can uh, read that, that, that article I mentioned about the prevailing wage being repealed at the uh, Cuyahoga Port Authority. Cleveland Cuyahoga County Port Authority is right on that website, CBCTC.org. Dave, you hang in there. Keep in touch with us, okay, brother? Thanks, Flash. Take care. And that'll be it for another edition of America's Workforce. Coming up tomorrow, the North Coast Labor Federation and more. Until then, all of you have a safe and wonderful day. That concludes another episode of the America's Workforce radio podcast. Thanks for listening. And be sure to subscribe so you never miss a show. America's Workforce is a production of Labor Tools and BMA Media Group. Find out more information online at labortools.com.